I'd like you to turn in your Bibles this morning to Matthew chapter 28. We're going to look at verses 16 through 20, which comprise a very familiar section of Scripture. One that I hope that God will take and challenge our hearts with this morning. A few weeks ago, we began a series entitled Building God's Church. started in Matthew 16, where the promise from Jesus is, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. In that work that will not be denied, you and I are given by Christ a significant and important role. A role that I believe is essential to the building of the church. It is encapsulated in this text that most of us know as the Great Commission, the order from Christ to his church. Dawson Trapman is one of perhaps the most famous disciplers in America. If you're familiar with church history in America, he was the founder of a group called the Navigators. Years ago, he was seeking to recruit counselors for a Billy Graham crusade. This goes back some decades in a large metropolitan city. He made numerous phone calls to the supporting churches of the campaign. He would ask them, could we have the names of men and women in your congregation who know their Bibles well enough to lead someone to Christ? All right, that was his desire. Find people within the context of the church that know their Bible well enough that they could lead someone to Christ. He called one of the churches, one of the larger churches, and got the secretary to the church on the phone. After he submitted this request about finding people who knew the Bible well enough to lead someone to Christ, the secretary of one of the larger churches said, would you repeat the qualifications again, please? Troutman did. After a long pause, the secretary said, rather wistfully and sadly, you know, we did have a man like that in our church once, but he moved away. Spiritually qualified workers, Dawson Troutman concludes, disciples who labor to make other disciples are rare, but should not be. Okay, People who are qualified to make disciples and see others grow to become everything they should be are rare, but should not be. The great commission of Jesus is... His final teaching. It is his final commission. It is his final mandate for the church between the time of his departure and the time of his promised return. My goal this morning as we evaluate this commission from Jesus is not to produce guilt and a sense of I should. Okay? In the sense of a burden, a duty-bound idea that flows out of guilt and a sense of, well, I guess I have to. My desire is that we would experience this morning some degree of heart change towards this directive from Jesus. That we together would discover or for some of us rediscover the mandate of Jesus and reflect on how it should be defining our daily lives. Because it is a commission that he gave to his early church and we are part of that work. We are not original disciples, apostles, but we are extensions of them. Jesus says to his disciples, he said, whatever you saw me do, go and do that. And the command that summarizes what they did is, go and make disciples of all nations. I would like to take a fresh look at a familiar text that is fundamental and significant 
to what makes us a church. Hopefully one that will provoke us to ask this question. How are we doing as a church in fulfilling the Great Commission? And I really think the only way to answer that question is when you get home to look in the mirror and ask yourself that very simple question. How am I doing in my disciple making? Am I lit with a passion to see people come to know Christ and then to grow in the Savior? Is that a defining passion of my life? Because it certainly is to be, in the words of Jesus, a defining passion of His church. How are we doing? And how am I doing? I think as we look at a text like this, I I anticipate this thought. All of us as believers want to do better in this area. I've never had a Christian come up to me and say, you know what, I really wish I was less evangelistic and less involved in seeing people grow to love and know Jesus Christ. Never had that happen. But I can anticipate that as I begin this sort of discussion, that for some of us there is a degree of anxiety, a degree of being uncomfortable because you're going to feel like you're going to be pressured to evangelize. And my desire this morning is not to do that. My desire this morning is to encourage you with the promises that are found in this passage of Scripture because I think when you embrace and understand these directives and promises, you're going to go forth from here saying, you know what, what I thought was impossible is not impossible. God has given us the resource to do this. He has given us a call to do this. And he wants us to go out of here on a weekly basis with the idea that church life is not about simply what happens here for an hour and a half on Sunday morning. Church life is lived out there. And it's there that we are to go and make disciples and make a difference for the glory of God until Jesus Christ comes. So I want to turn our eyes to Matthew 28, verse 16 through 18. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee. As you read this, you should be asking the question, why, after the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, are the disciples moving away from Jerusalem to a place called Galilee? Okay, if you turn back just a few pages in your text to Matthew 26, you'll find the answer to that question, verse 32. He told them, prior to his crucifixion, to go and meet him in Galilee. Okay, the question is, why Galilee? Because that's where the vast majority of the disciples were from. Okay, it is there that he called them. It is their home turf where their mission work began. And so he draws them back to that place, to a place called Galilee, to remind them of the amazing task that he has commissioned them to. Verse 18 He shows up, or verse, I'm sorry, verse 17. It says, when they saw him. Okay, so they go to Galilee. Christ has been resurrected. They've seen him on a few occasions, some of them. Here, when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Fascinating. Okay, they saw him. Some of them fell flat on their faces and gave him all of the adoration and worship, and respect, and authority that he was worthy of in regards to their lives. But the text also says this. It says, some of them doubted 
The word literally means they hesitated. They were reluctant to believe or they were needing more evidence. And what does Jesus do on a number of occasions? He anticipates their struggle with the truth of his resurrection and on 12 occasions meets with them and gives them evidence over and over and over again of his resurrection. Luke 24 is perhaps one of the most fascinating accounts of the resurrection because Jesus appears to them. They think it's a ghost. Why? Because they were struggling with the truth of the resurrection. It was to them a significant truth, an unbelievable truth. And in that setting, what does he say? Okay, he says, do you have a piece of bread? Why does he ask that? Because he wants to prove to them that he is the physically and truly resurrected Savior. Because the truly, physically resurrected Savior is about to give them a commission that is to define the rest of their existence as his followers. So the first thing that Jesus does in this text, and I'm just going to give you three simple thoughts. First thing is this. He assures them of his power. How does he do that? By giving them evidence on 12 occasions of his resurrection. One of those appearances includes 500 independent witnesses, a group that large that Paul refers to in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 saw the resurrected Christ. Christ interprets the resurrection event for his disciples in verse 18. Okay, they're worshiping, some are hesitating, but they're coming to a conclusion that he is in fact King of kings and Lord of lords. Verse 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Okay? Becomes an echo a little bit of Daniel chapter 7 where he is king of kings and lord of lords ruling over a kingdom that is eternal. Why? Because he has the capacity to conquer our greatest fear, which is death itself. And as he returns and appears to them, he can make this incredible claim that all authority has been given to him on heaven and in earth. So the first thought that emerges out of these verses is this. When he comes, he comes to assure them of his power. Okay, he comes to assure them of his power. Now, here's what happens. If you go back to Matthew chapter 9, you will find that Jesus is observing multitudes of people. And as he does that, he is filled with compassion. He is filled with a heart for the lost. How does his authority... His power affect evangelism and meeting that larger need. Okay, Matthew 9 says this. As he looks at the multitude, he is filled with compassion. He looks at the disciples and says to them, Pray to the Lord of harvest or Sabbath. Okay, pray. Pray to the one who is the supreme Adonai, the supreme ruler. And ask him to begin to move heaven and earth so that the great commission can be fulfilled. Pray that he will send forth laborers into the harvest field. Okay, that is to be the prayer of every disciple. Why? Because we know that Jesus Christ is Lord of the harvest. He is the one who controls it. He is the one who empowers it. And so as you think about the Great Commission, the first thing you want to see is it comes on the basis of an authority that Jesus demonstrates through the resurrection. Okay, on the third day, Father raised him to life again. And that resurrection of Christ is what authenticates and gives him authority to direct his disciples. So, verses 16 through 18, the assurance of his power by manifesting himself as the one who has overcome death, even death on a cross. 
Verse 19 then starts with the word therefore, which shows that there is a logical connection, okay, between the narrative about his resurrection and then the commission that he's going to give to his disciples. So look at what verse 19 says. Therefore, in light of this authority that is given on, in heaven and on earth, go and make disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Okay, so first he assures them of his power. Secondly, okay, so he comes, he is the authoritative, resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, in light of that authority, he looks at his disciples who are the early church. And he says, I want you to go and make disciples of all nations. What is he doing? He is giving them a commission. So he assures them of his power. Second thing he does is he gives them a commission that is of fundamental and significant importance. A commission is this. It is the act of giving authority to carry out a certain task. Okay, and the task here is to make more and growing disciples. That is what should be the controlling interest of the life of every Christian. Okay, everything we are to do is to be shaped around achieving this goal, fulfilling this authoritative commission from Jesus Christ. So he gives them a commission. The, the goal is defined as this. It is to make disciples. It is a directive that he gives to his disciples. It is not a, a directive that they discover it is, or that they create. It is an objective that they discover. Okay? Jesus brings this to them and says to them, I want you to go and make disciples. A brisk commandment or order. The word here carries connotations of converting or evangelizing. If you look at Luke 24 and verse 47, you find the great commission given to the disciples and the wording has changed a bit. It says, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. That's the authority. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. Okay, so the commission is this in Luke 24, 47. Go, preach the cross of Christ. Call people to acknowledge their sin and to trust in the resurrected Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Okay, so the, in a sense, the, the, the definition of this commission is to go and make disciples by sharing the good news of Christ. As you read this, I think you find this to be very clear. The make disciples is in the imperative so that what he is giving is not a suggested activity of Christian living. It is to be the defining activity of Christian living. Okay, it is a, an obligation, a responsibility that God has given to the church. And all of our lives should be shaped around how do we get and see more people to know the truth about Jesus so that they can come to saving faith when they come under the convicting power and work of the Spirit of God. That should be the defining passion of every Christian and of every church of Jesus Christ. These are things that many of, or there are things that many of us can do this is something that we must do. I want you to look also at the scope of this commission. How large is it? Here's what Jesus says. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. 
of all nations. The word here literally is ethnos. That's the Greek word of every ethnicity, of every people group, of every representation. It is a universal and worldwide directive. So every church needs to be involved in two things. Local missions, okay, which is what? It's me going out my door today with an eye towards trying to understand how through service and word we can seek to have a greater impact on the community that God has called us to live in. We can seek avenues in which the gospel of Jesus Christ can find expression and description in our lives. The scope is established at the beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter 12. God calls Abraham and he says this to him. He says, Abraham, in you all nations of the earth will be blessed. Okay? God has set his heart on the nations. And God wants us as a church family to grow strong enough and large enough so that we can have a larger and greater impact in carrying out this great mandate or commission for his church. God's heart is for all the nations. That is why Christians do not refer to unbelievers as infidels. Okay? We refer to them as people that God loves and wants to reach. Okay, so we go to them not to hold a gun to the head and force conversion, but to share with them that there is a Father in heaven who loves them and desires to have a personal relationship with them and sent a son to die on a cross to pay the price for their sin and wants to enjoy a life with them forever. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 defines the scope of the Great Commission. Jesus says to his disciples, when you receive the Spirit, I want you to go to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and then out to the uttermost parts of the earth. Okay? We have a large job to do. And it is defined by reaching the nations with the good news of Jesus Christ. God's heart is for the nations. They are, through the cross, objects of his affection. Now, here's the other question that comes up. Okay, the scope of the commission is global. Okay, you never come into contact with someone that God is not interested in. Okay, so th- I just think, here's the challenge this morning. Think through your life who God has brought into your sphere of influence. Do they know about Jesus? You do. Do those in your sphere of influence, are they seeing the love of Christ lived out? Are they hearing the gospel of Christ explained? Okay, and I understand that that's a tension for many of us. We want to do it, but we struggle with doing it. But it is, and I I would fall short of this text, if it impress upon us that all of us are to expand the scope of our outreach to the world around us. God loves them and wants us to. When do we fulfill this commission? Okay, that's the question that I want to give you here. Here's what he says. Therefore, go and make disciples. Here's the idea. Okay, make disciples is the controlling main verb of this verse. That making of disciples includes describing the gospel of Jesus and then growing new believers. That's the the goal of that verb. Okay, the participle that rides along with it is while you are going. Okay, what does that mean? It means I need to redefine how I live my life. Okay, As you're going means as you get up and begin your day, you are on mission for God. I am never off mission. Okay, I may be off mission personally, but God wants to take every interaction that I have, every opportunity I have to interact with people to bring Jesus Christ to bear in the lives of others. 
It is to begun, be done as you are going. It is a decision to refocus our purpose in life by, and here's what I think is so important, by pursuing excellence in our work, by doing acts of love in our community, by being the hardest working person in our workplace, by being the best student in our school, by avoiding negative and trashy types of talk, by being authentic and holy and careful in how we live, by being the best that we can be in everything that we do. Why? Because we are going, and as we're going, we're to be seeking opportunities to impact the world that we live in for Christ. The sad thing is that many of us live subpar lives and we fear to speak because we're not living lives that reflect well on the gospel of Christ. Jesus says to his disciples, he says, as you go, make disciples at all times, in all seasons, in all circumstances, whether things are going good or bad in your life, you have an opportunity in relationships, in your hobbies. It's all-inclusive. Everything about your life is an opportunity to interact with others. And when you interact with others, you should just simply be praying, Lord of harvest, send me forth. Lord of harvest, send me forth. Help me to see those divine opportunities that you shape into my life where I can share Jesus with those around me. Okay, just think. What are your passions? What are your hobbies? What are the things that you like to talk to people about? What has God given you in terms of qualities, characteristics, and habits that allow you to connect to people that other people can't connect with? It can relate to career development. It can relate to so many areas of your life. So I just, I challenge you, just think through your life and say, God, how do you want to use me to take the good news of Jesus into my sphere of influence? Okay, and find the courage to speak. What this, I think, will require is us as Christians Killing the divide that exists between the secular and the sacred in our lives. Okay, for many of us, our Christian experience, and this is sad, but I just, I just want to say this because I think it's true for many of us. Our Christian experience, the living of our lives as Christians is what happens here on Sunday morning. Okay, we think that's when God wants to save people. I want to challenge you to realize that this text says, as you're going, you go out of here as a representative of Jesus Christ. And in every interaction, in the integrity of your business, in the, in the love that you share for your wife, Bob walking down the street, holding his wife's hand, expressing his love to her, is a witness. Why? People watch that. They see something different and unique about that. The little acts of love that you do for people to show them the love of Jesus. The acts of service. All of those are opportunities to begin to see the gospel invade someone's life through the difference that Jesus has made in you. So don't allow the evil one to cause you to think that there are people who are paid professionals who do the sacred work. I live in the secular realm. Don't allow a divide to be created. Okay, realize that when you go into your daily life, into your family, into your workplace, you have an opportunity to make a difference for Jesus. You know how you do it? You do it by being the salt of the earth and the light of the world. You do it by going in and living a life that is somewhat distinguishable and discernible as Christian because of the holiness that you pursue, because of the gentleness that you express. Okay, these are, these are the ways that we begin the evangelistic conversation with people. Let them see that Christ is alive in your life and is making a difference. The problem in the American church has been this. We have, in many ways, 
set up evangelism as an attractional event. Let's see if this makes sense. We tend to think that if I want my friends to hear about Jesus, I need to invite them to church with me. Not a bad idea, okay? There's merit to that biblically. But I believe this text is saying something that is a little bit different. I think this text is saying our main focus should not be the attraction of people to us. It should be us going out in a missional way to the world around us. Okay, because I'm going to guess that most of you sitting here this morning that know Jesus, you know Jesus because somebody had the courage, somebody had enough love to tell you about him. Somebody took the risk of bringing Jesus into your relationship with them. And that's the hard part, isn't it? Because sometimes when you bring Jesus into the relationship, you say, I may lose this relationship. Okay? That's the risk that we have to take as Christians. Why? Because there is something greater that people need than a relationship with me. They need to know Christ. Okay? My relationship with them won't change them eternally. It may change them temporarily, but it won't change them eternally. And the directive of Scripture is that we would go. And as we're going, make disciples. So every part of our life is to be part of fulfilling the mission that Jesus Christ has given to us. If you observe the life of Jesus, I think one illustration, John chapter 4. Okay, he meets with the woman of Samaria at the well. Okay, there he engages her in a gospel conversation. But it's not all he's doing. He's also reaching across cultural boundaries. Shattering preconceived notions about male-female relationships. Okay, in the way he's living, he is creating curiosity about the message that he actually embodied. May we do the same. May we go out into the world around us and serve others, love others like Jesus did. And then the last thought that emerges here is how do you make and grow disciples? Verse 19. It says, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Baptizing is the initial work, the public witness, that requires repentance and faith, Acts 2.38. It is the means by which people are externally, physically attached to the body of Christ. It is the means by which a witness towards the cross work of Jesus is born. So first they are baptized, and then this is the directive. Then teach them everything, and teach them to observe or obey everything everything that I have commanded you. You know what that means? It means that when someone comes to personal saving faith in Jesus, my work in their life has not ended. It has just begun. Okay? That's why I think fulfilling the Great Commission is something that requires a lot of effort and a lot of work on the part of every believer. God wants you to go, and as you go, God wants you to get involved in the lives of those around you. And when someone comes to personal faith in Christ, he wants you to encourage them to publicly witness to that change that God has brought in their life, and then he wants you to cultivate a personal relationship with them so that that new disciple becomes a better and better disciple of Jesus. So evangelism is not a, an, an event, okay? It is the beginning of a process of seeing the life of Jesus poured into the life of others. The last thought that emerges out of this text is in verse 20. End of the verse, he says this. 
He says, and surely I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. Powerful, powerful promise. So he assures them of his power. He gives them a commission. And then the last thing he does is this. He promises to them his personal presence. Why? He wants them to be assured of his love and sustaining power with them. And so at the end of this dialogue in Luke chapter 24, Jesus says to the disciples, I want you to go to Jerusalem. And I want you to wait there until you receive a fresh infilling of my spirit. And when you receive a fresh infilling of my spirit, then I want you to go into all the world and do what? Make disciples. He doesn't want us to do it in our own power. He wants us to do it in the power that he provides. And his promise is this. As you are fulfilling this task, I am with you always, even unto the very end of the age day in and day out my grace will sustain you and strengthen you and make you able to do all the things that i have designed for you here's what i think is fascinating if you go back to matthew chapter one and you find the birth record of jesus you know what you find his name should be called emmanuel which being interpreted as what god with us is it not an awesome thing that this book would end with this promise that God with us thing when Jesus is present is the same God with us thing that is manifest through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus can say to you today, when you walk out that door, I am with you. Folks, please understand this. We don't come here to meet God. We come here to fellowship and worship God. And we go out to live not for him. We go out to live with him. And our task, our job, our desire is to do everything that Jesus did. And you know what Jesus did? He went out into the world and shared the good news. He let people know that they were sinners in need of a Savior. He let them know that for every sinner there was hope. And throughout his life you find him reaching to religious people like Nicodemus and then to the very secular and sinful person like the woman in John chapter 4, the woman in John chapter 8 caught in adultery. He reaches out to tax collectors like Matthew. He's reaching in all different directions, up and down. East and West. Okay? Why? Because that's what it took to change the world. The challenge I leave with you this morning is this. Jesus said, what you have seen me do, do it. Do it. John chapter 20. The life I lived, go and live that kind of life. Now, what, the question then that comes to mind is, what did Jesus do? Jesus came to save the world. And to that end, he died. But on his way to the cross, what did he do? He concentrated his life on making a few disciples. Folks, please understand this. Jesus focused his attention on a few people that were to do what? That were to duplicate themselves in the lives of a few other people. And the rest of the story of church history, you know very well. It's not because Jesus discipled multitudes Multitudes followed him, but he discipled a few people. And then he said to them, you go, and now you make disciples. Folks, understand this. If you would focus your attention and pray to God and say, God, bring into my life one, two, three, four people that I can influence 
with the Great Commission, with the glory of God, through the Gospel of Christ, and through the indwelling of the Spirit, and you would begin to encourage them, go do for others what you have seen me do in your life. What a difference we would make in our community. Folks, just think of it this way. If every person in this room, I'm going to guess there's probably 180 or so of us here this morning. If every person in this room said, I am going to begin to pray to the Lord of Harvest that he will use me to reach one person this year with the good news of Christ. I mean, an intentional decision to say, I am going to be on mission with God along with all the other things that are going on in my life. While I'm going through my life, I am going to begin to pray that God would give me one person that I can love and lead to Jesus Christ. Do you realize that in one year, in three months, we wouldn't fit in this building? Do you understand? Jesus did not disciple hundreds and thousands and then deploy this enormously well-gifted group of scholarly people. He deployed average blue-collar people to change the world. (laughs) And for them... The thought of him leaving was overwhelmingly intimidating. So what does he say at the end? He says, I am with you always. As the authoritative, resurrected Lord and Savior Christ, I give you this command, his authority. The commission, go and make disciples of all nations, scared to death. It's why, folks, most of us don't do this. His promise is this. As you step out on this mission, I am with you. You're not alone. Don't go and do this without Christ. Go and do this with Christ. As you drive to work tomorrow morning, as you begin to interact with your family and friends, and just just think of all of the different settings in which you live where God has given you relationships where you can begin to make a difference for the kingdom. Don't stress over this. That's what I said at the beginning. My desire is not that you go out of here saying, man, I definitely don't share my faith enough. Okay? My heart is that you would go out of here saying, you know what, I have the privilege of partnering with Jesus and making a difference in my community. And if everyone in our church family did this, imagine, imagine what would happen by the power of God, for the glory of God, by the grace of God. Imagine what would happen. So I give you the words of Jesus. Go into all the world and make disciples of every nation. Baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then teach them to do everything that Jesus taught you to do. And see them begin to multiply and impact our community for the glory of God. Don't think about trying to win five people to Christ. Think about trying to influence one person with your life. And pray that in that influence, God would give you an opportunity. He would give you the courage for your faith to find words. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing the word about Christ. And as you do that, you, I, I believe this is a prayer that if you pray it, God's going to answer it because it is according to his will. Pray the Lord of Harvest to send you out. Pray, partner with some people in your church family. Partner with a brother or sister in Christ. Be honest with them and say, you know what? I have to be very honest. I can't remember the last time I shared my faith. And ask that person, say, would you hold me accountable? Would you pray for me? Would you encourage me? Would you help me to become the man or woman or young person that God wants me to be so that I can change my world by the power of God and for the glory of His Son, Jesus Christ? May God to that end help us. Father, as we bow before you this morning, we...